<laughs> hey. Well, hello again. We have some good sections today. Uh, accomplishments of Joseph Smith, right? Yeah, his martyrdom, the, mm. what leads up to the martyrdom. Yeah, also some stuff about singing and dancing, which we haven't talked about before. So The Trek West with Brigham Young, yeah, good times. good stuff. Uh, so welcome. Before we get into our discussion, should we follow up on what we read? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're studying Doctrine and Covenants, sections 135 and 136. Joseph Smith and Hiram Smith, as well as others, are going to go to Carthage jail. They're going to comfort each other with the words from the Book of Mormon. Joseph and Hiram are killed by a mob at Carthage, and Doctrine and Covenants, section 135, celebrates Joseph's accomplishments in the Lord's work. After the martyrdom of the prophet, Brigham Young is going to lead the saints west. Uh, the Lord is going to help them in organization of their travel groups and give them further instructions. Mm -hmm. So we're going to focus our discussion on three things today. Uh, the contributions of Joseph Smith, developing a conscience void of offense, and praising the Lord with singing and dancing. So in order to help us with our discussion today, we have invited our good friend Lita Little-Giddens to join us. Welcome, Lita. Thank you. And have a seat. It's good to meet you. Lita, it's so great to have you here. Thank, Thank you. you. It's my privilege. Uh, so, Lita, you are the manager of the Diversity, Collaboration, and Inclusion Committee in the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences at BYU. That is correct. Uh, you are also uh, on the Committee for Race, Equity, and Belonging at BYU. Yes. You're a licensed therapist, and you are also a talented singer and um, performer. Thank you for saying that. But yes, to all <laughs> of the above. Yeah. yeah thank you. <laughs> Great. Tell us a little bit about um, your work at uh, BYU in terms of your involvement in initiatives re uh, relating to race and equity and belonging. What do you, what do, you do there? Well, um, in my position as manager of diversity, collaboration, and inclusion for the college, mm -hmm. our emphasis and focus is the mission of the college, was, mm -hmm. which is to create a Zion community, mm -hmm. to establish a community, and as Martin Luther King would have said, a beloved community where everyone feels that they belong. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for your work in ministry. We appreciate oh, it. Thank you so much. So before we get into our discussion, I'm wondering, was there anything in these uh, sections that kind of jumped out at you or that you found specifically significant? It's always a privilege to like dive into doctrine. Mm -hmm. And reviewing these sections, I just was blessed again to, to have a feeling of gratitude for Joseph, mm -hmm. who he was and what he was, um, and to feel that what my life is right now and continues to be is an extension of who he was mm -hmm. and what he was. Excellent. Thank you, and we'll, we'd love to hear more of your thoughts on that. So maybe we can jump right into it, Barbara, and talk about the, the contributions of Joseph Smith. This is such an important section, as it says at the very beginning in a section heading, that's the announcement of the martyrdom of Joseph Smith the prophet and his brother Hiram Smith the patriarch at Carthage, Illinois, on June 27, 1844. And then as you see, this document was included at the end of the 1844 edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, which was nearly ready for publication when Joseph and Hiram were murdered. So at this time, Joseph was, was running for president of the United States. I mean, this seems like such, such a big deal. He had a lot of people that were really against him. Um, he, was, he was at this point practicing polygamy. Um, they'd had some financial problems before. We have some internal conflict. Um, there was a, a newspaper um, that came out that was a very, in a sense, I would say anti-Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, acting as the mayor, had that newspaper um, destroyed, which caused even greater turmoil and frustration among um, those who were involved in the situation. 
And because of that and many other reasons, uh, Joseph was searched for and brought to Carthage jail. And in section 135, we're going to read a little bit more about that situation. So maybe the first question we can reflect on, and, and Lita, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on this. What has strengthened your testimony of Joseph Smith, the prophet? For me, the contributions that he has given me in my life makes me think of when I was learning about the church. I was a teenager. I was 15 years old. And um, I was welcomed into a home with this wonderful family. And I was sitting with the missionaries, you know, and they are telling me about this young guy, 14, and how he had a question. And so he went to this place in the grove and prayed to get an answer. And this young 14-year-old saw God the Father and Jesus and became the prophet of the Restoration. And I had been going around and looking for truth. And in that moment, the Spirit bore witness to me that what happened was real. And my personal contribution from Joseph Smith is that witness of the Spirit, because I had not encountered that or felt that before. And in that moment, my life changed. And so, of course, from that point on, I've had countless experiences with the witness of the Spirit, but I can always trace it back to that moment when the Spirit witnessed to me of the truthfulness of Joseph Smith and who he was again and what he was. Excellent. Thank you very much. So one of the things I love about Joseph is I love good examples of people who work with their hands and work in the trenches with the people that they love. Um, you know, I think of King Benjamin, you know, he says, even I myself had labored with my own hands that I might serve you. Uh, and studying the lives of Joseph Smith and, and looking at the kind of person he was, Yes, he made incredible theological contributions, but he never abandoned his responsibility or desire to be with people in the work of the Lord, to be with people in their suffering, to mourn with those who mourn, to comfort those who stood in need of comfort. And, and to play with children and yeah, to exactly. sing. And yeah. I mean, he, he, was, he was a part of his mm. society, as a part of his people. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, his, his just, I mean, not to... Not to speak light, but he was just a normal dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, he plays games with people. He jokes around. I, I can get behind that normalcy. Like, I love the idea of God doing extraordinary things with ordinary people. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we could open up to our audience. What has strengthened your testimony about the prophet Joseph? Or in what way has his contributions been uh, a blessing for you in your life? So, I, too, was a convert. I converted to the church when I was 18. Um, but up to that point, I was raised super prejudiced to the Prophet Joseph Smith. And so when I started learning about the church, I loved the Book of Mormon, um, but I had a hard time accepting the Prophet. And it was like not easy with the environment I was in either. And over the years, I have really taken it upon myself to kind of study his life and to understand we have the Book of Mormon because of him, because that's what my um, testimony was built upon. And I just have grown a profound appreciation for the Prophet Joseph Smith, because without him initiating the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, none of this would have been possible. Amen. So as we're talking about Joseph's life and, and some of his contributions, it's important that, you know, there are many contributions that, that Joseph gave to this world. And one of the contributions we see in verse 3 um, is, is this. Joseph Smith, the prophet and seer of the Lord, has done more save Jesus only for the salvation of men in this world than any other man that ever lived in it. 
In the short space of 20 years, he has brought forth the Book of Mormon, which he translated by the gift and power of God, and has been the means of publishing it on two continents, has sent the fullness of the everlasting gospel, which it contained, to the four quarters of the earth, has brought forth the revelations and commandments which compose this book of doctrine and covenants and many other wise documents and instructions for the benefit of the children of men, gathered many thousands of the Latter-day Saints, founded a great city, and left a fame and a name that cannot be slain. He lived great and he died great in the eyes of God and his people, and like most of the Lord's anointed in ancient times, has sealed his mission and his works with his own blood. And so has his brother Hiram. In life they were not divided, and in death they were not separated. I had an interesting experience when I was serving as a missionary in Los Angeles. We knocked on this gentleman's door. It was actually my first day of my mission. And he answered the door. His name was Felipe. He invited us in. And we started teaching him. And he said, do you believe you have a prophet? I mean, he kind of guided us through this conversation. We said, yes, we do. And we told him a little bit about Joseph Smith. And then he said, did they kill him? kind of caught me off guard. And I, my companion, of course, responded, yes, they killed him. And his response was, the first prophet of this dispensation would have been killed. And then he compared him to other prophets in the past. And then he said, did he have a book? I mean, it was like, was like this is like an Einstein story, right? We're like, really? And he said, yes, he, yes, he had a book. And he said, can I see it? So he passed him the Book of Mormon. And the, the man, Felipe, went over to this tiny little corner, had this little lamp. And I remember him turning this lamp on. And he started reading the book, the Book of Mormon. He just started reading, just kind of thumbing through it like this. And all of a sudden he started patting his heart. And he said, he said, what am I feeling? And we just said, you are feeling uh, the Holy Ghost. And we could just tell by the way he was acting. He said, I've never felt this way before. This book is true. This prophet that you speak of is true. And then because I didn't know much coming out of the MTC, I said to him in Spanish, will you follow the example of Jesus Christ and be baptized? (laughs) (laughs) And his response was, I have waited 70 years for this. I have been searching for the prophet of God my entire life and have been trying to find his book. And today you have brought it to me and you're inviting me to be baptized. He said, you will let me be baptized? And two weeks from that day, Felipe was baptized and had the strongest testimony. He had been searching for what some of us just take for granted as what you were saying, Lita, and what you were saying, Rachel, uh, understood and, and recognized the spirit and decided to get baptized. Gosh, it just feels such a spirit of, of that scene. I saw it play out in my head. But again, all of us here were extensions of who Joseph was and what he did. Oh, my gosh. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, So this has been a great discussion on the uh, contributions of Joseph Smith. Let's talk now a little bit about this idea of uh, developing a conscience void of offense. To introduce this topic, we have a video uh, from a viewer at home. Hi, my name is Joseph. It's hard for me to imagine myself in the same position that Joseph Smith was in, where he knew he was going to be killed, and yet he was calm as a summer's morning, and he had a conscience void of offense towards God. So my question is, what do you think it was in Joseph Smith's life or maybe in his personality that that gave him that level of confidence? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, Karin. I think, you know, our experiences and his personality can be an influence, but I think ultimately it was the choices he made and each of us makes millions of choices each day 
and we don't really think of them because most of the time they're small choices, but they can really make an impact in who we become, and that's what Joseph did. I love this question because let's go in and say, what gives me confidence? You know, what is it about my personality, you know, that I can liken unto as, as it relates to Joseph? So, okay, one of my favorite stories in the Book of Mormon, y'all, it's about the brother of Jared and building the barges, you know, and how they described it repeatedly, that they were tight like unto a dish. If we are tight like unto a dish ourselves, there's no enemies that can get in or that can deter or that can decrease my value and my confidence. So that's how I view Joseph. And that is what we maybe can look to and, and pray to become, especially in the world today where so many influences can try to get in and crack through. We need to be tight like into a dish and develop a conscious void of offense like Joseph Smith. It reminds me of that. There's a little poem that kind of goes with this, and I may be destroying it, but it's something like this. It's all the water in all the world, no matter how it tried, could never sink the smallest ship unless it got inside. And then, and all the evil in all the world and every kind of sin could never sink a human soul unless we let it in. I think all of us, Preach though, girl. a little bit <laughs> let it in. Yeah. But then we have the Savior to help us to repent and make that ship tight again, right? And, and I think one of the reasons why Joseph had a conscious void of offense is because he knew Jesus. And he knew how to, how to call upon him and he knew how to use the atonement in his life, the Christ atonement in his life. He understood what it, what it took. He had that relationship that he had to build and he was willing as, as he talks about that rough stone rolling and he was willing and humble to have all pieces taken off that weren't what he needed to have. He, as, he, he, as he said himself, he wasn't perfect, but boy, was he willing to give himself to the Savior. Right. And I mean, there's a lot of confidence that comes in being able to say, like, I've done everything I can. Like, I, I don't have much to offer, but I've offered it all, right? In, in verse six, it actually talks about Hiram and, and Joseph's death. It kind of gives their age. And then right in the middle, it says that this martyrdom cost the best blood of the 19th century to bring them forth for the salvation of a ruined world. And that if the fire can scathe a green tree for the glory of God, how easy it will be to burn up the dry trees to purify the vineyard of corruption. They lived for glory, they died for glory, and glory is their eternal reward. From age to age shall their names go down to posterity as gems for the sanctified. I love this idea, and regardless of how long we've been in the church, whether we're recent converts or members that have had family genealogy going to the days of Joseph Smith, there's still a promise that there will be those in the posterity that will know and recognize Joseph Smith. So I, I just want to give you a, a moment to share any final thoughts, testimonies, experiences with the prophet Joseph Smith. Josh, please. Well, I'm 14 right now, so I'm like the same age as Joseph Smith was when he went to the Grove. And like life's already hard enough for me, so like I can't even imagine like what he went through. And like, I just know he had the power of God with him and like the spirit and I know he was a true prophet because of that. Thank you, Josh. Yeah. Beautiful testimony. As we testify of Joseph Smith, the Spirit confirms to me, again, that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. In bearing my own testimony and in listening to others bear their testimony, it has become so clear that when we speak of Joseph as a prophet, God is actually giving us the confirmation that indeed he is. So I simply testify that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. 
that he spoke with God, that he saw God in Jesus Christ in that sacred grove. Uh, so this has been a great discussion about uh, what it means to develop a conscience uh, devoid of offense. Let's transition now and talk a little bit about Doctrine and Covenant section 136 and specifically praising the Lord with singing and dancing. Before we get into it, can you give us a little historical context of what's going on in 136? I know this is more Brigham Young than Joseph Smith, right? We're going to try to keep Lita in her, in her seat while we talk <laughs> about this today, right? I'm just saying, what a transition from what you just said and that beautiful testimony. Like, let's talk about some singing and dancing. <laughs> but really, it that's works right. because that's how we praise. That, that's, that was glorious to me, and it makes me want to rejoice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So this, as we can see again in the section heading, uh, we're talk this is a revelation that's given to Brigham Young. Joseph and Hiram obviously have now been martyred. This is a few years later as they are have they have left now Nauvoo. They've been forced out of Nauvoo. The saints are at winter quarters. Um, they're really struggling. They're trying to figure out the best way in order to go west. So Brigham Young is going to be asking these questions of the Lord. And the Lord specifically is going to give this revelation to the saints. And Joseph Smith gave the keys uh, of the of the gospel of Jesus Christ the kingdom of God to his apostles at that time. And so even though he says he goes to the lamb, like, like a lamb to the slaughter, he was still peaceful in a sense for many reasons, but also because he knew the church was going to continue even without him. So now Brigham Young really is taking the lead and he is leading these saints now to the West. And throughout this section, you see some commandments that he gives uh, the saints uh, they should do. Specifically, I wanna, I wanna focus on uh, verse 28. If thou art merry, praise the Lord with singing, with music, with dancing, and with a prayer of praise and thanksgiving. So I'm wondering, the question I have is why? What is the importance of singing and dancing and music in, in our religious lives? Go ahead, Lita. Yes. <laughs> we were talking earlier and I just said, you know, that we, there's a promise that the gospel will be taken to all the parts of the earth and people will be able to hear it in their own language. And to me, singing and dancing is a language. It's universal. And, I, and it's become such a part of who I am and what I do because that is how I joined the church. Um, that was the language that spoke to me. I'm telling you, my culture, my people, when we start dancing, it's community. And it's a call. Come join the community. Come join it. So I'm so grateful that this is something that is in the scriptures. Reverence is a really personal thing, so I can be stomping and I can be <laughs> clapping and I can be moving the way I need to move because I feel Jesus that way. That is my communication. That is my testimony. So it, we need it. We need it. That's awesome. I love it. You know, we're familiar with this. We've talked about this before, but Doctrine and Covenants, section 25, verse, verse 12, which is often quoted in this context, but really what you're saying, I mean, my soul delighteth in the, the song of the, the heart. heart. Yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me, and it shall be answered with a blessing upon their heads. Like this is, this is real, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. Music and movement is, is so important because, because light has movement. When Jesus created the earth and, you know, he said his light is in all things and through all things, to me it's like Jesus is in that. And it's not static. It, it moves. And so this um, quote from Maya Angelou says, everything in the universe has a rhythm. Everything dances. Y'all have rhythm <laughs> and y'all can dance. Because here's the thing. It's not that we have to have eight counts of choreography to say, I'm dancing, a five, six, seven, eight, and go. No, again, it's an outward expression of an inward emotion. So it could be 
anything that is expressing your joy. That is dance and movement to me. And God is in it. And I mean, I love this idea of dancing and music and song, their languages. I mean, part of my training is I have to learn a few languages. And one of the things I've realized is that there are things you're going to articulate in, in certain languages that you can't articulate as easily in others. Uh, and for me, I mean, and, and I'm sure you understand, it's just unbosoming your emotions and feelings for God or one another is difficult verbally sometimes. Yes. And the only way to do it is through song and music. Like you can express yourself to God and to others and feel love expressed to you in ways that you can't verbally. I will admit in all the years that I've taught Doctrine and Covenant section, this section 136, I've never had such a compelling discussion regarding music and dancing. No. And I love this, so thank you. It's awesome. Are there other thoughts oh. <laughs> or insights that you would like to share here? AJ, please. It's just like Lita said earlier, where like music is a way to express yourself to like Heavenly Father and Jesus. And I'm in a choir and we sometimes do songs that are like kind of preachy and I always feel the spirit really strong, like when I sing those songs or like on the piano when I play a hymn, it's just really powerful. It's awesome, AJ, good job. I love that, AJ, again, because you just made me think again about the need to, to continue to, to draw to Jesus, you know, to draw close to him and develop that intimate relationship. And you just said, that's, you feel it really powerfully, you know, and, and that's the same with me. And that just continues to help us to increase our love for the Savior and develop a more intimate relationship with Him. I love it. Uh, Victoria? Cuando nos juntamos con mi familia, y muchas veces lo que hacemos es jugar juegos de mesa, los niños pintan, pero la última vez que estuvimos juntos, hicimos karaoke. <laughs> eh, y mi hermano estaba cantando y brincando. Todos estábamos participando, los que estábamos escuchando, los que estaban bailando, los que estaban cantando. Y lo que me dio gusto fue que mis hijos más pequeños, los dos tienen autismo, son gemelos y son autistas. Y ellos por lo general siempre están en su lado, no participan, pero en ese momento eran parte del grupo. Estaban brincando y estaban cantando y estaban felices de poder ser parte de la familia. Por eso creo que, que la música es, es algo natural, es algo que, que como tú dices, es un, es un lenguaje que nosotros usamos. Y en ese momento nos pudo acercar a todos como familia y aún a ellos que no pueden hablar o expresarse, llegaron a ser parte del grupo. Beautiful. It, it unifies families and it saves souls, right? Yeah, so I come from Portugal. So the country I come from, we dance a lot. And people don't have as much material things that people have in the U.S. And sometimes there's times that life is hard. But every weekend, without fail, my family, every time there's a lunch or a dinner on weekends, we always, always dance. What it means to me in the scriptures is that when you're dancing, even if your life is hard, you feel so much happiness. And I find that the gospel in my life has been a gospel of happiness. And that's what it says in verse 29. He says, if thou art sorrowful, call on the Lord thy God with supplication and your souls may be joyful. And then in context of what you're saying, again, to these saints who are going to be coming across, I, I, I just love that in the process of creating Zion, he's asking people to sing and to dance and to use these other talents, this other language in order to come into him. It's important to understand, like you were saying, Katya, that we dance because it's, it's healing. And my emphasis in grad school as a therapist was expressive arts therapy. I use the arts for healing because... For me, that's, that's why we have it, to help each other heal, to help our brothers and sisters to heal. 
And it's completely fine too, I think, if people don't experience that way. I mean, we all speak different languages, as it were, and your language might be, you know, art, you know, right. or something. Anyway, uh, again, but God has promised that he will speak to us in language that we can understand. So this has been a great discussion on praising the Lord through uh, singing and dancing. And thank you so much for your comments and, and your insights and your questions. Lita, I really appreciate you bringing this together and helping us dive into these scriptures in a, in a new and a fresh and an exciting way. So thank you. It was you. such an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much to be able to speak to something that I feel so deeply about. Thank yes. you. And we'd like to thank those of you here in our studio audience. We appreciate so much your comments, your testimonies, your insights. Thank you for helping us dive deeper into these scriptures today. And to those of you at home, thanks for sending us your comments and questions uh, via social media. We'd love to have you come join us sometime in the studio, but if you can't, we hope you'll tune in next week for a come follow up. Thanks. Thank you. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.